Hello and welcome to this Building Blocks episode of Unpacking the Case, where I am once again joined by our Head of Legal Training here at DJB, Richard Snape, who will be talking me through the case of Walsh and Lonsdale from 1882. Richard, would you mind starting off by giving me an outline about what this case relates to? Yeah, it's one of those sort of degree level land law cases that people uh, have to study and don't always realise of significance to this day. Um, it's about the, the role of uh, equity and the law, which were fused together back in the 1870s and well, primarily starting off with the 1873 Judicature Act, equity being the sort of uh, separate branch of the law, um, historically sort of um, decided upon by the, the, the Lord Chancellor and the, the Chancery uh, Division as it became of the courts and the common law and uh, which type, which which uh, jurisdiction prevails, basically. Okay, and so what were the background facts of this? Lonsdale was the landlord who agreed a seven-year lease uh, to to Walsh to go uh, to Walsh as their tenant, and uh, the lease was uh, never executed as a deed. And um, leases are more than three years in duration. Can't be legal leases unless they are created by deed. It's section 52 of the, the Law of Property Act 1925 nowadays, which actually says that. Um, leases of three or less years at the best rent uh, and taking effect on possession. I think section 54 two of the Law of Property Act nowadays says that they, um, uh, they can be legal, but not otherwise. And I say the deed was never executed, but uh, nevertheless, Lonsdale went into possession. The original uh, lease was for, you know, well, I mentioned it was seven years, but the rent was due to be paid yearly in advance. And when Lonsdale went into possession, uh, they were paying the rent, uh, decided to pay the rent quarterly in arrears. And I say this happened for a year and a half uh, until eventually the landlord, uh, Lonsdale, has had enough of this and uh, levied distress in the days when you could still levy distress. Uh, and um, they wanted to take possession and bring the lease to an end. And um, the tenants uh, objected to this and wanted an injunction stopping this. And that's what led to the decision, the case. And so what was the decision of the case? Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds quite academic, I say, but it's, it's quite significant to this day. There's two strains to it. Um, although leases of more than three years not created by deed can't be legal leases, um, the court looked into the equitable side of things, a totally different jurisdiction that the, uh, the lawyers should remember from their studies. And uh, there's an equitable maxim, there's lots of equitable maxims, but one of them is uh, that uh, equity looks on that as done which ought to be done. Or as I got, in a, I remember getting an examination answer in a question when I was a university lecturer, one of the students, but uh, Equity looks on that as done, which is being done, which is probably true as well, but it doesn't really make too much difference. Um, but they, um, so, and also in equity, you're entitled to various uh, remedies, most notably specific performance requiring the lease to be created. So the court decided because you would be entitled to specific performance and equity looks to the future, equity looks on that as done, which ought to be done, there'd be an equitable seven year lease. Um, but also, once the tenant goes into possession and starts paying his rent, in this case quarterly in, a, in, in arrears, uh, then that will create uh, an implied periodic tenancy on a quarterly basis, a quarterly lease, and that doesn't have to be by deed. It's less than or three or less years in duration. So we had a quarterly legal lease at the same time as a seven-year equitable lease. 
uh, and basically which would prevail, and that's the significance of the case. It was the 1873 Judicature Act, the 1873 and 1875 Judicature Act actually um, changed the whole court system uh, significantly. Um, Dickens and pillaring the systems of equity in, in Bleak House was one of the major spurs to it being reformed 20 years later. But Section 25 of the Judicature Act of 1873 says that in the event of a dispute, equity prevails. And uh, that's what the court decided, equity prevails. And therefore, there is a seven-year equity, equitable lease which prevails over the legal lease. And uh, the consequence of that, it's on the same terms as the, you know, the lease was meant to be, the original lease. And you should have been paying your rent yearly in advance and not quarterly in arrears, the landlord won. So is an equitable lease always as good as a legal lease? Yeah, I mean, the significance is that once you've got an agreement for lease, once you've uh, exchanged contracts in relation to a lease, if you exchange contracts, which often, especially in commercial premises, you don't, then you'll have an equitable lease. One difference is that uh, you know the whole kind of concept depends on the landlord being able to get specific performance uh, against the tenant specific performance actually becoming available. Um, if, for instance, there are breaches on one side's part, let's say there's a case called Coatsworth and Johnson about a farm which was in completely deteriorated state and the likes, and uh, equitable remedies like specific performance are discretionary, you know, if they won't exercise their discretion because of breaches by one party or the other, then um, it's, you, you will just have the legal lease and not the equitable lease. Most significantly of all, there are other differences, but most significantly of all to this day is that uh, when third parties get involved, um, in unregistered land, legal leases bind third party purchasers, you know, the, the title is unregistered legal rights bind the world. Uh, and so third party purchasers are always bound by a legal lease. A short legal lease in, when titles registered of seven or less years in duration is an overriding interest under uh, Schedule 3, Paragraph 1 of the 2002 Land Registration Act nowadays. Um, whereas equitable leases don't automatically bind third party purchasers. If a title was unregistered, they should be protected uh, by a C4 land charge in a state contract. Yeah, an equitable lease when titles registered could potentially be binding um, because of uh, Schedule 3, Paragraph 2 of the Land Registration Act, the rights of people in actual occupation were also overriding interests. And if the tenant was in occupation, they'd have a binding lease, even though it was an equitable lease as well. There's a case on it, uh, Grace Reimer Investments and Wait, I remember, back in 1958. So that's Walsh and Lonsdale. Richard, thank you so much for talking me through that. That was really interesting. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unpacking the Case as much as we have.